All right, hello. Hello, um, welcome to Activate Your Origination, the podcast. Um, I am Randy Larson, and I'm here with my co-host and my sister, uh, Jenny Kurtika. Yes, hello. Yes. So today we're going, so this is what, episode 13? Lucky yeah. number 13. Um, and towards the end of our conversation last week, um, we touched a little bit on on fragility and and it felt like a good conversation to be having just in the, you know, basically the end of fragility in a multitude of ways, your own fragility, the fragility of the people that you love, the way that you have to protect yourself and everyone else. And so we're just going to dive in today and see what comes up around this topic of conversation. Yeah, I think it's so important to have. I mean, I've had like little conversations about this with people in passing. And of course, our clients, we talk about this. But one of, you know, the best examples for me that I have found in my, well, for my own fragility, but within my relationships is like the relationship that I have, like with my children. Mm. And I've had a lot of different moms you know, talk about that with me and, and say like all these things are going on in school and, you know, their daughters are having these issues and like, how do you support them? And also like not project your own woundedness into their experience in some ways and be able to be a actual solid place of truth and help order the truth for them without confusing with the potential um, you know, conflicts of the future or what you have been through in the past with yourself, because most of the time when we're trying to help somebody else through something, we can only see our own experience in it. And so if we had problems in school or, you know, somebody hurt our feelings before it enhances our own fragility and then holds the people that you want to see succeed in their strengths to their own fragility too. So it, it's like you think you're helping them, but you're actually projecting the fragility in each other through these dynamics. And I love that we're having this conversation because there's just, it, you go at it in a different vantage point and you're able to actually hold a solid foundation and know that like everything is actually going to truly be okay because there's always this feeling inside of yourself inside of somebody else that the truth is is it may not be okay that's what it feels like when you're in that space and and it's not good for you it's not good for them and it's just not a good experience at all yeah and you know we're in our 40s and we sort of grew up as this first generation who really dove into like psychology and why we are the way that we are and grew up sort of beyond that, like tough it out. Like this is just the way life is. And so we were given all of this information about what, what shapes us to become the way that we are or what shape, you know, how our childhood and our parenting and our experiences and our trauma and our pain and the things that we go through have shaped the way that we become adults in the world and our behaviors and our thought patterns and the way we think. And 
we have learned to hold people and experiences responsible for why we are the way that we are. And now we're adults who are parenting children. And in all of that information and knowledge, um, it becomes a challenge because it's distorted. First of all, it's distorted. And, um, we try to then overcompensate to avoid our children ever having to feel the way that we did. Like we felt alone and misunderstood. And so we don't want them to feel that way. Or I'm, you know, this way I'm a self-sabotager now because nobody listened to me when I was a child. And so you're trying so hard to just listen to everything your child says so that they never feel like nobody listens to them, but at the same time. So, so you're weirdly like trying to, you know, equip them with the tools that you didn't have, but you're also weirdly distorted and operating out of this fear that they might become something like you. And so it gets very confusing and very entangled really quickly. And because we're so connected to our children, like when, when the energy and the experience isn't clean and clear, then we become like the source of each other. So we then need our children to behave a certain way so we can feel good. And then, you know, our children become the source of our well-being, And then we also then try to figure out how they'll be great so that we can feel good, right? Like there's something wrong with her. She has anxiety. She's worried. She doesn't have any confidence. If I could just figure out the way to make her feel better or to make her feel more comfortable, then I could feel better inside because I'm weirdly conflicted between, you know, what's right for me and what's right for her. And I always think that if what's right for her, if I can just do what's right for her, then I'll feel better inside. And it just never adds up to that. Yeah. Right. And in those dynamics, we don't even realize it, but there's like this energetic pressure that is happening that when you hold somebody else responsible for your own well-being, you're, you're like analyzing how people are behaving in their life and then checking off the boxes to reflect back on what it means about yourself. Like there's this energetic pressure that is unspoken <laughs> and the relationship and the experiences that you really, really, truly desire to have and the closest closeness that you desire to have isn't actually possible there energetically because there's this friction that's happening in that system. So even though you're dedicating all this time and these feelings and this, you know, meaning and this abundance of like exchanges and you care so, so deeply, there's so much at stake that that person can't even come into you in the way that you are doing every single thing you can ever imagine to let like your child know that they're in a safe place and that it's a they can say anything and it's a comfortable you know place and that you will never not love them for anything but you're simultaneously energetically holding them accountable for your own well-being it's super unsafe for them like it's not even a spoken thing it's it's you can't even hardly put it into words. It's an energetic system that is that is filled with friction in there. And so it's why things never really add up or why that trust never really feels like it's there. I mean, it's there, but there's just like it's off in a degree. And which then reinforces the questions as a mother, if you're doing a okay, good enough 
job and then you're like looking for evidence still kind of dissecting what the overall presence is happening here and making notes about it continuously in your mind and your child can feel that energetically and desperately wants to have a safe place as well but can sense that there's something off in it even though they don't there's no words for it they're not even sure what it is it's just a it's just a feeling right and so ultimately what's happening then is you're weirdly trying to protect pr protect what you think is their fragility but you're also asking them to manage your own fragility exactly. and you know kids a lot of kids a lot of the women that we work with who have daughters who are also wired for origination and a lot of those adolescent girls are like i'm out i can't this is whatever is happening here is like way too much for me like this is i don't really know consciously what's happening but there's a lot of pressure here and there's a lot of stakes and my mother almost seems like a crazy person like why is she weirdly obsessed with me and i just need to get as far away from here as possible and um otherwise they the the children often become then just really, really fragile. So they, they either disappear or they, they start to live out their own fragility and start to then be reinforced with all the ways they can't handle anything, you know, like they need to be, have special treatment and they need to have special care. And we need to now set up a system in our family where everyone pr protects that child's perceived fragilities. And by per perceived fragilities, I mean the things that they can't handle, the inability to handle discomfort or to have to face challenges or have to be put in uncomfortable situations or have to exercise their own authority or have to make decisions on behalf of their, themselves or have to hold the responsibility for a decision that they make, right? We, we like let them off the hook and we make sure that their environment is right and that they don't have any disturbances and that they don't have any friction and that they don't have to handle any discomfort. And everybody then has to sort of operate within the boundaries so that nobody upsets the apple cart and that everybody can just, you know, sort of operate in this way where everyone has to protect the potential triggers or potential disasters that could happen when faced with your own discomfort. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest like disservices that we're doing to ourselves and other people is we have learned how to soothe ourselves and learn how to soothe our children and learn how to soothe our husbands and learn how to soothe our friends, like anything to avoid discomfort. And we then miss out on the actual potential of relationships and friendships and experiences that we have because we are, you know, we are wired to believe that if we feel something that is uncomfortable, it means we're doing something wrong or some potential disaster is going to happen in the future. And so we use our inner system as this guidance place but it's it's guiding us it's misguiding us like it is okay to be uncomfortable it is okay to be activated in your body it is okay if somebody else besides you is activated in their body like it we are human beings there's different experiences that we're going to have we're all going to have diff a different set of emotions at different times the problem is is when we sync up our feelings 
in some way to like relate or try to save each other. Right. So, you know, we, somebody can be going through something completely different than you, but it's like strangely human nature to then jump into that. So somebody is not like alone in the way they feel instead of holding a solid foundation to help somebody be able to be ordered into the truth and see clearly we, we jump into the distortion and try to, you know, make sure that everybody's going to be okay in the distortion instead of helping somebody get out of the distortion. Right. And in those moments where you jump into the distortion, so you're trying to manage the feelings and the outcomes and the experiences and manage the wounding and the fragility so that everything stays what feels like, you know, okay or safe in that moment, you have no actual authority or potential for true influence because every, even every bit of advice that you offer or like, like in this, this was my experience. I lived with my middle daughter who, I mean, I live with her still, but we lived in this dynamic of not knowing where she ended and where I began and where in not knowing what to do with inside myself and my own discord she became the source. She became the source of my discord, but she also came the so- became the source of my well-being, my happiness, my safety and security, all depending on where she was in regards to herself. And for mo- much of her life, she was spinning out. And so was I. And she was a perfect mirror for me. But I, it took me a long time to turn it inward on myself instead of just continuously focusing on the external of that. But in those times where I was highly activated and entangled with her in our relationship and she was going through something difficult or something hard, every time I would try to get in there to manipulate and control the situations, right? So that she could feel better in some way, shape or form. All of my advice was filtered through the need for her to be different than she was in the moment. So even anything I offered her wasn't actually really about her underneath it. It was about me because if she would change those things, if she would listen to me, if she would just do the things, if she would behave this certain way, if she would feel this certain way, then I could feel better in that moment. And so there is this distortion that goes even into the interactions because, and whether she, she could feel it, um, maybe subconsciously, not maybe consciously at that time, but she could feel that, that it wasn't, um, sound advice. It wasn't, it wasn't a clean, um, experience of offering her truth. It was like very constricted in, I need you to do this so that like, because whatever, whatever you decide hangs on the balance for me. And again, that pressure was too much for her to handle. And so basically she was out or, or she didn't want my advice. She didn't want to tell me what was going on in her life. She wanted to sort of put up a barrier, you know, in her own self-preservation because there was just too much. It was too overwhelming to have to deal with her own feelings and mine at the same time. And so I'm seeking my safety in her and she's just a a child, you know, she, she is experiencing her life and doing the best she can. And 
you know, ultimately I thought that what I was doing was trying to be a good mother and trying to help her and trying to offer her the solutions that I didn't know and show her the way and do all of these things. But it was very distorted and very conditional and very much centered around my own wounding and my own needs. And it wasn't until I stopped focusing on her and trying to alleviate her, her discord through external conditions. And I just started to focus in on myself. I became the example that I was always trying to tell her to be instead of like telling her how to be, I just started being that for myself, no matter what she was doing. Yes. Yeah. And that is what most people do. I mean, we all do that where we know, like we can like picture what it would look like we know what it would look like we have enough stories that would be like this is how it would play out and we then tell everybody else how it is so easily if you just do these things but then never really do it ourselves like if everybody else acts in a certain way then I will have permission to do it too but I need everybody else to do it first like here's all of the knowledge here's all of the answers here's all of the things but because, well, especially women usually put everybody else in front of them. They don't know how to turn it in on themselves and equip themselves to be able to like walk through the day and whatever challenges come up that they're, you're appropriately like centered in the place that you can make real-time decisions that are right for you which then overflows into every single interaction you have in the day. But we're like, I'll do that later as soon as I know everybody is taken care of. And how I will know everybody's taken care of is that there is nothing that is uncomfortable that's happening in this house at all. Like everybody's getting along, everybody's in great moods, everybody has A's, everybody you know, is laughing, everybody is helping, everybody's doing the dishwasher, we're not having to ask them. Like, we have this list of things that will make us know that everybody is in a good place, but it's not, it's, it's, it's like when you're looking outward for that continuously, everybody else is too. So everybody's concerned about what everybody else is doing is that you're never going to get there from that place. Yeah. And I mean, it's completely natural. We all want to be good mothers. We all want to be good sisters and friends and wives and business like we would want to be good at everything that we do and the way that you know our experience in society and our culture and social media and all of these and blogs and all of these you know um external conditions add up to your being a good parent and a good mother in some way shape or form is to devote more than what you have to your children. There is like this honor in like martyrdom and self-sacrifice in being a good mother, you know, like a good mother never stops worrying. She never stops figuring it out for her children. She never, you're only as um, happy as your saddest child. Like there, there are all of these entangled experiences in their dynamics of relationships that are really codependent ways of behaving and interacting with your children. And there's nothing wrong with like loving your children or wanting good things for them. That's not what we're saying, but we're saying when 
it is distorted. And when you cannot regulate yourself, unless your child, unless you have regulated your children, there is discord in your relationship and it is impacting the experience for both of you in a way that, that is not enjoyable. <laughs> like that right. is the whole point is the way you're behaving is to avoid this, this scenario. So it's like the thing you fear the most is the thing you're participating in, but you don't even realize it. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because the things that you're even trying to protect your children from, they're already experiencing. Right. Yeah, I mean, there was so many years in, in my house where um, I don't know why. I mean, it was like a light bulb one day where I was like, what the hell am I actually doing here? This is insanity, actually. If I look at what I am thinking and what I'm doing, like with my son, he, you know, through his years of, I don't know, well, probably his whole life, actually, actually his whole life up until the last couple of years, I, there was so much discord in my own filtering system of what I thought he was probably thinking or what it meant if he felt a certain way. And, and, um, he had, you know, when he started school, there was like a year, second grade was like a turning point year where things became kind of unsteady for us in our house. And for him, it felt like, and, all of a sudden it was like I was faced with these choices of, you know, having his back or not pushing him too hard, or I don't want him to think these things about himself. I want him to know that he's smart and that he can do these things. But at the same time, it was like getting filtered through my own growing upbringing and where I didn't feel smart in school. And my parents tried to hold me accountable and they did it in like a way where like, uh, my dad made this was later in my life but like a progress report and my teachers had to sign it and I never could measure up or add up to like what I thought the expectation was so I didn't even try like I just in my personality I was like I'm out like if I already knew that I couldn't do it I was out and so I didn't want that same experience for for Eli and I was like you know my husband would be like, these are the things that need to be done throughout the years. And I'm like, come on, don't be so hard on him. Like, we're supposed to be the soft place for him. And like, he's trying his best. And it doesn't come that easily for every single person. And, and simultaneously, like Eli's insanely smart and doing well in school. It just was like this weird thing that we were like doing in our minds. I don't really know. But no matter what, Chad would say to Eli, I always constantly had friction with Chad because even if it was like, Eli, do the dishwasher, I'd be like, why do you have to say it like that? Like, come on, we can just, you can just say it nicely or he's going to do it later. And I could hear myself continuously like following after those two and making sure. And then like, weirdly enough to Chad would leave the house sometimes. And I'd be like, are you okay? Like sometimes dad's just crabby or, you know, he, we both really love you. And I would like strangely try to like make sure that everybody was okay. And looking back, I don't even think Eli thought any of those things. Like he was like, he's like the most easygoing kid who does not pay attention to details in the way that I pay attention to details. He's right. not scanning the room the whole time. 
wondering and reading if everybody's okay by a look or a, a word. And I was continuously doing that. Just, I felt like a chicken with my head cut off in between those two, like observing, being at the dinner table and watching dynamics of conversations and feeling, finding myself being filled with rage and anger at Chad for something he said that Eli probably didn't even notice. And I don't know why, but I just felt like I was my job to save Eli from every single thing that ever happened. And most of that stuff was in my own house when we have a very loving like house, everybody is, there's nothing out of the ordinary that's going on. But even in like the perfect environment, I still felt like it was my job to protect him and save him in this really strange way of making sure that we talked about the feelings and all this stuff, always going after him to make sure that he's okay. And always going after my husband to make sure that he wasn't too hard on him. And all of a sudden one day, like through doing work with myself and with the originators and with you, one day it was like a record scratch. And I'm like, what the hell do I think that he's actually capable of? I'm acting like he is the most fragile person that has, I've ever seen in my life. Like I'm acting like my son is and that he is, you know, at any second, just going to be just floored and on like going to be put on down onto the floor and never going to be able to have the strength to get up again. Like one word is going to destroy him. I'm acting like he is not equipped for anything. And I'm reinforcing that strangely enough in him asking him if he even is like aware of this and like just so you know it's all going to be okay and he's not even thinking these things unless I'm like putting them weirdly in his head too and we were having different things like in school where it wasn't like he was like living up to his potential or I was worried he wasn't hanging out with friends I mean I'm just like anything and everything that I could possibly think of to be an issue I was finding them and that day that it just stopped for me and I was like, okay, actually, if I'm like going to be his mother and equipped him, this looks completely different than what I'm playing out right now. I'm acting like he's not capable of anything when I know that he truly is. So why am I over here in the not capable bubble when everything I'm trying to fight for in my house is that everybody knows that he's capable. So why do I keep going over to this place of distortion and fear of some potential outcome that's not going to be good? And when that stopped and I was able to live inside of myself and watch Chad and him have an interaction, like some of my biggest work in this was realizing that I butt into every single thing that I don't even need to participate in. I'm so angry that I have to participate in these places and make sure everybody's okay. But the truth is like, I actually don't have to. I'm inserting myself in these conversations. I'm mad at them for having a uncomfortable exchange in the house. But like, when I look back, it's actually me who's making it worse because now I'm turning every single thing, every single word into something. And I'm holding it against my husband and I'm holding it into fear with my son. And I, like, my biggest fear is that in that time was that he was going to grow up thinking his dad was somebody who he wasn't. Like, he was going to grow up thinking his dad was a jerk or something like that. When I'm like, I know this is all out of love, but it's coming across in this way. But at the same time, it really wasn't coming across that way. 
only in my own filtering system it was because that's potentially when I was growing up, if my dad was mad at me, then I would think he was mean or whatever it was. So I was trying to avoid that situation between Chad and Eli, even though they didn't even have it. I was creating the freaking situation the whole damn time. And so part of my work was to, the main part of my work was to not insert myself in the exchanges that had absolutely nothing to do with me and create a bigger distortion in them. And so I had to survive the dinner table. I had survived the, you know, talking about mowing the lawn. I had to survive the dishwasher. I had to survive the no answer when somebody would ask a question. Like I had to quiet my voice and sit in my own discomfort and know that everything was going to be okay, that I was going to survive it, that Eli was going to survive it, that Chad wasn't actually doing what I'm playing out that he's doing in, in my own head. And also then being able to make decisions that were appropriate in like what I would consider responsibility at his age or whatever it is and have to, it just be like no thing and not connected to like, okay, this is a random example, but this is what we do as moms, right? Like, okay, you're going to need to learn how to do your laundry because if you don't learn how to do your laundry, then later in life, you're going to be a guy who doesn't know how to do his laundry. And then that means that you'd be like a slob. And then people would think these things about you. And like, you have all of these potential disasters that will mean nothing in the moment. It means something way deep into the future that you made some sort of mistake, which adds up that you were not a good mom in the end. And so I would have to then have him have responsibilities, but then survive knowing that they just are what they are. Not because I need to make sure that you are well equipped, because if you're not, then I'm a bad mom. And I got to make sure that I only have a certain amount of time to teach you all of these things. It's more like this. It is because it is. And you're going to be fine. And I'm going to be fine. And if you don't like doing the dishwasher, that's okay. You're still doing it. And I'm not in my room worried that he's not going to love me anymore because he had to unload the dishwasher. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, like, I do. I do. It's like this weird cycle going on and on and on. And, and every single woman who has children, and this is, we're playing it out in children, but this is every relationship. This is our husband. This is right. anybody, your parents. Um, they all, so much of their unhooking is unhooking themselves from every relationship you have in your life and realizing that like all of these thoughts that you were having about this potential, like you're going to end up being not loved or some potential disaster is going to happen in the future. Actually, we're all, they were just all in your head. Like you're just creating these situations continuously filtered on all of this stuff in your body. And when the women who work with us, are able to start seeing their relationships in a different vantage point. Like the overflow of this, of disconnecting from the people around you and turning self-centered into what it is that you truly want to do is you actually get the closeness in the relationships that you've been desperately trying to, but it comes at a completely upside down and backwards approach than you ever could imagine of what it 
it looks like in society of what we've gathered to be what it means and how you will get there. It's, it's like totally wild. The best, the best part is when these women that work with us suddenly see it in a completely different way. And they were like, they're like, Oh my God, I had no idea that that's what I was participating in. I completely thought I was doing something else. And I do want to just say every single thing, thing that we do is out of love like you love these people and you, it's so much that you're willing to Act make like your thoughts person. about them a thousand times <laughs> a day you know <laughs> but you don't even have to it's so much better when you can be free and they can be free right well when you when you can okay let me just under these distortions and in this entanglement Every single move that everybody makes matters so much. So every potential outcome is weighed down with so much meaning, whether you're going to be loved, whether they're going to be okay, whether they're going to be capable, whether they're going to be happy, whether you're going to be a good mom, whether you're going to fail, whether they're going to love you, whether they know you love them, that every single move and potential outcome is literally feels like a matter of life and death. And so each of these moments add up to just exponential meaning and potential disaster, right? To avoid. And when you can start to pull yourself out of their outcomes and pull the meaning that you make out of projecting these disasters into the futures or, or operating from your own pain in the past, there is an opportunity for moment by moment intimacy and honesty and connection that cannot exist when the conditions are so high, when the stakes are so high and when your well-being is wrapped up into their outcome, every move that you make, everything that you do is conditional. And so you don't experience that unconditional love and connection. When you know that their outcome isn't about you and the way that it works out for them only holds the impact for yourself that you decide it does, you can show up in this unconditional experience with them and everything changes from, from there. I mean, and so much of it goes without the nauseating conversations about all of the rules and the boundaries and the feelings and the things like, most of the things become no thing. Like Jenny mentioned, like the dishwasher, like to, you know, in the programming, in the distortion of the human codes, conditional, you impact me and I impact you. What it usually goes is like, you feel so powerless in that exchange with your children and you take it and you take it and you take it until to a point where, you know, your kid's not helping or them not cleaning up their shoes or not doing the dishwasher or doing the things you ask them to do with pushback and complaining. It, it creates this friction so long inside yourself that you go from being like, passive and anything goes and I don't want them to feel bad to being like, what the actual fuck here? I do everything for you. So you suddenly become like the person that they need, like you need to protect them all the time. But then somewhere in that system, you flip and you become the person that they now need to be protected from. And then you feel so bad about that afterwards. And so then you have to go back and 
talk about the feelings and sit down and apologize and tell them you're so sorry and make sure, do you know that I still love you? Do you know that like I, all of these things, but you just, you know, these are what I need you to do so that basically I can feel okay. And so I can know that you respect me. Like I can know that you love me. I know that you appreciate me. I know that you appreciate all these sacrifices that I make for you. If you would just load the dishwasher without complaining, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and as you begin to like sort this stuff out and, and, um, see the distortions and the meanings that you've made, it's like, I actually don't care if you're having a fit, the dishwasher's the dishwasher, get it done. And you just move on. You're not up in your room thinking what you said, oh my gosh, is he going to be okay? And is he going to know I still love him? And I'm so mad about this thing. And why doesn't he just do what I want him to do? And I give him all the stuff and I do all these things. And now he's just going to be a grateful asshole. And if he can't even unload, if he can't even unload the dishwasher without complaining, how's he going to make a good employee someday? And what does he think? Everything's going to be handed to him and he's just going to be entitled to everything. And he's going to be living at home when he's 35. And then what am I going to do? And it just goes into this thing. And I remember with, when I began to change and like, I began to have the ability to make choices in the moment that weren't so wrapped up in all the stakes. And I had a very similar moment like you did Jenny, where all of a sudden I realized the system that I had set up with my children and the way I treated them as if they were so fragile and that all of their limitations and all of their experience and pain that they had been through needed to be honored and protected and that we needed to set up our life around these feelings so that nobody had to re-experience them, even though, I mean, we were all re-experiencing them all the time and trying to avoid them because ultimately the truth is, is everybody goes through hard shit. Not one person, not one human being on this planet comes through their life unscathed. So we have options. We can protect their fragility and their wounding and their trauma and their pain and their discord and the least of them by setting up systems to, you know, reinforce their limitations, or we can show them how to be equipped to handle discomfort and challenges and face adversity and move beyond it and make the, and choose the impact that that has on their lives. And that is by you participating in that experience first. And your children will never be confident and well-adjusted and happy and able to face adversity and overcome and know what they're made of if they're never put in positions where they have to find out. Mm-hmm. And it is a great disservice to yourself and to them to try to avoid those experiences for them because they don't learn then how to trust themselves. They don't learn what they're made of. They don't have, they don't have the ability to gain confidence in themselves the way that they could and should and would in having to face discomfort and adversity and work themselves, you know, through that experience. Right. Because what we do in those situations, like I had a friend talk to me about this one time and she was like, well, I don't understand what to do because she's having so much, you know, trouble in school. And one day she's the one that all the girls are talking about. And I just don't know. And it's so hard. And I was that girl that felt left out. And I just, it's so hard. And every night, you know, I, my, every night I want to make sure she's okay. And 
so then we talk about the feelings continuously and and she's like so how would I how would I go like how do you get there from there I don't understand because like I want my daughter to know that I hear her and that I understand that it's hard and and all of these things and so we went through this conversation and and like you said, you're doing them such a disservice out of love. Like this is not intentional. This is, but it's like, what else do you do? Right? Like you want somebody to know that you love them and that they hurt, they're heard and their feelings matter. But like, what matters more? Is it the feelings that people are having in the moment or like the actual truth? And I started doing this with my um, kids and especially, you know, Pippi. And so I gave her this experience of what it would look like. So what ultimately is the truth? What ultimately happens? So how to walk somebody through like a child in the end of to get some place instead of just like reinforcing the hardness and the feelings. So this is an example of Pippi. Pippi came home one day and she was like, today I was so embarrassed on the playground. Somebody said that I was doing something and the teacher came over and told me to stop but I wasn't doing anything. And I was like, okay, so what happened? And she's like, well, the teacher told me to stop. And she had tears in her eyes. And in the past, I would have been like, oh man, I bet that was so hard. Like, how did that make you feel? And then we would have had like, oh yeah, I totally understand. That's hard. And not everybody knows what's happening. And, you know, she probably didn't know. And she was probably trying to do her best, but like, it still hurts when somebody doesn't believe what you say. And all this stuff. So I decided not to do that approach. This is one of the first times that I decided not to do that because that's what I did forever. Like, oh, it's so hard. I'm so sorry. I love I love you. And it's okay. Like, it's okay. And I know it's still hard. Um, so I just said, so what happened? And she said, Well, the teacher told me to stop. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so then what happened then? Well, I didn't I well, I didn't do anything because I didn't do anything before but the teacher told me to stop and I'm like okay so then what happened well nothing really I just started I just was on the playground okay so what did you do at the playground then well then I just played okay did you play with somebody yeah so then what happened well then we just did recess okay, <laughs> so then what happened after that we went inside okay so then what happened to that nothing we were in school okay so then what happened nothing Okay, so then what happened then? Nothing, nothing happened. Okay, so nothing happened then. So nothing happened? Yeah, nothing happened then. Okay, so then what happened? Nothing. So then the teacher told you to stop and then nothing actually really happened. And she just sat there and she's like, yeah, yeah, nothing really happened. And I was like, okay, so you're okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, because what happened? Well, nothing. Okay, the teacher told you to stop and then what happened? Nothing. Okay, and she was fine. And, but in the past, I would have been like, oh my gosh, okay, so tell me, what did they say? And then what did you say? And then how did that make you feel? And yeah, I know that's so hard when you know you didn't do anything, but somebody doesn't believe you, but you know the truth and that's all that matters. And even if they don't know the truth, you know the truth. And I know it still hurts and I know it's hard and, Girls are like that to each other. You know, girls, they, they're mean to each other. And one day they'll still, tomorrow they'll probably, you know, they'll probably forget about it, but 
you know, when I was a kid, sometimes I was left out too. And, and, you know, I don't know why girls do that to each other, but girls do. And, you know, we, we all are so scared of, you know, being the one who's left out that sometimes those girls will just stand up and they'll point that out on other people so they can protect themselves. And that hurts when you're the girl that's left out. And I know because I was the girl that was left out and I love you. You know, I want you to know that I love you and you'll find real friends. Don't worry, even though it's hard. And then it's just like, that would be the whole experience forever. And then it's just like, then she goes to bed and she's really sad and she's upset and <laughs> getting more proof that girls are mean to each other. And, and at any minute you're going to be in or out and, you know, it's okay because you still have me and I love you. And I totally understand because I've been there a million times. And then I'm like, or we could just be like, let's just get down to the bottom. Let's walk through the whole thing and see what actually happened from this action. Oh, turns out nothing actually happened. Okay, great. <laughs> go to bed. I go to bed. Everybody's good. Perfect. But we do this distortion of these stories. It brings us right back to third grade. It brings us right back to being that person. It brings us right back to this conversation. And it, what happens is their uncomfortableness activates it in us. And then we relive the whole situation that when we were in third grade, through this person that's like, could you just please give me some truth here so I don't actually have to go through everything that I went through and you went through <laughs> and then have double things that now I'm worried about here? <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah, we did that multiple times and we do it a lot. And sometimes, you know, something does happen. Like so-and-so was mad at me. Okay, so what if so-and-so is mad at you? Well, then they're mad at me. Okay, <laughs> so what does that mean if they're mad at me? I, mad at you. Well, it means that they don't like me. Okay, so what if they don't like you? Well, then, I don't know. Then they probably won't hang out with me. Okay, so if they don't hang out with you, then what happens? Well, nothing. I'll hang out with so-and-so. Right. Okay, so if they don't hang out with you tomorrow, then what would happen? Nothing, really. I mean, nothing really. It's just like this potential thing that something could happen or we could be destroyed at any moment. And that's like real strength and showing your kids like actually things happen. Friends can come and go. There are misunderstandings, but are you totally shook in this situation or do you learn how to become unshakable amongst what other people's own insecurities are? Or do we right. jump into that more with them? and teach them that they need to continuously, you know, scan the crowd to make sure that the dynamics aren't starting to play out in the way that is really scary and hurtful. And if they do, that, you know, it's even more hard and hurtful and you can relate to me in that and I can relate to you in that and we can build this relationship on this foundation of all the ways the world treats us <laughs> I remember being like okay what the hell am I doing and coming to this point we were going on a trip we were going on a trip and we we were going to Texas with everybody and we had a five-bedroom home and my kids are like crying because they don't get their own room and how it's going to be so hard for them to not have their own room 
on this vacation with all of their cousins. Like, and I'm driving in the car, we're heading back from Duluth and I'm like, what in the actual fuck have I (laughs) up here in this system that like, I've created a system with my children that they are so entitled and so fragile that a five bedroom home on a trip is like not going to be support their emotional well-being of needing time alone. And I mean, I just, I sat there on the drive home from Duluth. It was like a two hour drive. And all of a sudden, all of these light bulbs and revelations are going off in my head and we get home and it's like, I've gone from like being completely owned in the experience to like completely seeing the light and the truth of the situation and what I have perpetuated, which I often call like the aftermath of the human code parenting paradigm. Like that shit is a real thing. Like you're doing the best you can under the system in the way that you think it operates to be the best mom you can be. But when you see how distorted it is and how painful it ends up being for everyone involved, you're like, holy shit. Like I once was blind and now I see, and I, we had this system set up where everyone got to weigh in on their feelings and everyone, all, all five of us, we could just sit down and have a feelings fest and everyone could talk about their feelings. And then we also had this really awesome thing in place where everyone could jump in and help the other one out too. So like if Isabel's feelings were hurt, then Addie had the right to come in and defend her on and, and act on her behalf and let me know as the parent, all the ways that I was potentially injuring Isabel. And it was, and, and Addie could do that, you know, and Emma could do that with everyone. And so um, I say, I, I just say very matter of factly, I'm like, actually, this is, this is not the way it's going to be anymore. Like we are staying in a five bedroom home with three families. You will each have your own bed. And if you can't handle not being, not having your own room and your own alone time, then you don't have to go. And Emma came into the room then. And she was like, going to petition. I can understand why Isabel feels this way because she needs this and she has this and she has this. And I say for the first time ever, actually, Emma, I don't need you to tell me what Isabel needs. And you're actually, we don't need to have this negotiation because you're actually the child. And I'm actually going to tell you how things are going to go. And I don't need to know any more about the situation. And she's like, what? we don't get to talk about our feelings anymore. (laughs) I was like, no, actually not in this case. We don't get to talk about our feelings anymore. And she just bursts in and runs, like stomps out of the room. And I just was like, oh my God, I'm free. I'm literally free. I'm not sitting there thinking, is she going to be okay? And what does she think about me? And oh my God, poor Isabel and Emma. And you know, are they going to know that I love them? I'm like, I don't even care if they know (laughs) I do love them. And I love them so much that I know that we both can survive this moment. And this is, and I mean, these were like very defining moments of where new standards were being set inside myself on how I was willing to participate and show up with myself first and with my children. And We have been learning over the last decade that empathy and understanding and relating to people's feelings is like the highest virtue, but compassion and empathy are two very different things. Compassion is connecting someone back into the truth. Compassion is taking care of your own 
emotional well-being and letting somebody else, you know, struggle in that too. Empathy is just this entangled mess of, I remember when, and I know how you feel because I've experienced too. And that's really, you know, that whole scenario that you talked with Pippi, empathy gets you nowhere except reinforcing the stuckness of where you are. Mm-hmm. And there will be a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of people who think we're monsters, <laughs> we're terrible, terrible human beings, because we just don't play in that distortion of how things go in relationships. And that's okay. That is totally okay. I mean, the, the feeling of like sureness, I, I spent years crying to you, crying to myself that my kid would grow up and not love me. Like, what if I made a mistake? What if I, I love them so much that I'm willing to stay up all night and worry about the one thing I said to somebody? Like, what if I, what if they end up not loving me? Like, what if this, what if they don't feel my love? What if, 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 what if? like, I had all of that in my system because I deeply, deeply loved my children. Now with the, everything to be untangled and to be able to freely be me and my kids be freely individually each themselves, the immense love that I can actually experience with them. Oh my God. It is unlike anything I could have even imagined was there. Like all I wanted to do was set up the perfect conditions to have an experience where everybody knew that they were loved in. And I did it in the most crazy approach in the past that never could, we could never, even if it was happening, we could never actually experience it to the depth of what I was hoping and wanting so desperately. Mm-hmm. When there is this unshakableness inside of yourself, you get to truly experience each person for who they are and see them as they actually are. And it doesn't filter all of that nonsense continuously. Like when I tell the story about Eli or I tell the story about Pippi, like the truth is, is like, these are the most unbelievable children. Like we have the most unbelievable children. They, and everybody does. It's just what you see in them and what you're so worried about is going to happen. And I want to reinforce that, like we do all of these things in the distortion out of love. Like nobody is intentionally trying, everybody's intentionally trying so hard to do the right thing. But the truth is, is like, you don't really have to do the right thing in the way that you think you do. You get to just be and enjoy each other in a different way. Yeah. I mean, we had a client who took the program a couple of times back and she, and her children were grown, but she had just almost like this obsession with one of her children that she just was like desperate to know that desperate for her daughter to know how much she loved her because she felt like she wasn't there for her when when her daughter was young. And so she was literally racing against time, constantly trying to make up for this thing in her mind that she thought she had failed. And, and so she, she just was owned by this relationship. And when we started to walk her out of it and tell her like, you know, what moves to make and what moves not to make and how to untangle herself, she was like, Oh my God, 
Like everything that I have been doing has only been creating more of the same friction and everything that I don't want and everything that goes intuitively against everything I think I know to do. And you guys tell me to do this other thing that makes absolutely no sense to me. And then we have the best time with none of these conversations. And we have, we just get to show up, you know, in this interaction, in this free way where it's not all this like house of cards and the next move is the next disaster. And, you know, adding up the checklist. And I mean, she was just like, I can't even believe once I can see what's actually happening here, how this stuff works. And we have a woman in deprogram right now who, who in our first week, like we were speaking of the relationship with her daughter and the way that it is. And, you know, the things that her daughter is struggling with, and she begins to see how entangled they are and how they're the source for each other and how this, this is being reinforced through their interactions and how every moment is, is held with all of these stakes. And she begins to just start to unload. She's like, in 30 minutes, I have more clarity about this relationship than I have our whole life together. And literally the next day, without any conversation, without any of the things, without any of the explanations, without, I know I thought it was one thing, but I just want you to know I'm changing and that I thought I was doing this. And, you know, she like in just a very genuine moment, her daughter shows up and it shows up very genuinely in the freedom to be herself without all of that pressure. And the thing that was school that was so hard and that was causing so much friction with her mother, not getting her homework in, not wanting to be there, this constant struggle and battle, you know, the daughter just shows up as, as the mother's changed her energy and says, you know what, I'm going to make sure all my assignments are in tonight on Friday night, because we have a busy weekend and I don't want to have to think about it over the weekend. And she's like, what, what? just happened here oh my god what i don't have to have my hands in every single thing what i can trust myself what i can trust my daughter what we can show up as the most of ourselves instead of holding each other to the least of ourselves like what 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 and so i mean you know we talk about these the the distortions very like flippantly or joke about them but mainly that's because like distortion doesn't deserve a lot of validation. Like I remember somebody asking me, a client asked me like, why do you like kind of use sarcasm or talk in that tone? Like you're kind of like dismissing that voice in your head or that like conversation. I'm like, because the human code programming of like the crazy shit show distortion doesn't get respect. Okay. She needs to be called the carpet for what she is, which is full of shit and total conditions and manipulation and control and managing of outcomes. And she has no actual authority or solution to anything. So anytime she shows up with an idea, she gets the, you know, um, attention and respect that she deserves, which is none. <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, we definitely joke around a lot and in with our clients too. And that is part of it. I mean, there, there is a lightheartedness to life that you can actually experience in the human code conditioning of survival patterns. Everything is very serious and it is, you know, a matter of life and death, but that's the distortion. It's actually not the truth. And, and yeah, we'll go from like hysterical laughter to 
all of these things. And it just is so different than what you think it's going to look like when you work through some of these things. Like it can just be like, okay, that makes total sense. Whoa, crazy town. Okay, now I can see it. Not like, oh man, I have so much I still have to process and work through and oh, here I am not adding up again. Like that is not even in the existence of what this work is at all. Right, yeah. Jenny says all the time, like there is no shame in this game. And that is the truth for us and for the crazy thoughts that come out and the way that we are playing out these patterns unconsciously, or even when we begin to be consciously aware of them and we can see we're doing it and we still don't know yet what to do about it. And I, the world, there will be these moments with myself where I'm like, okay, like, this is crazy. And yet I haven't found the spot of the truth yet to work my way through it. And there is no, there's no perfection because life will always be life. Like things will be thrown at you. You cannot control other people. You could, there are situations that happen in life that are beyond your control, but what we teach our women and what we live out with ourselves is to find the truth as soon as we can. And to act on the truth as soon as we know it's the truth and to dismiss a lie as soon as we know that it's a lie and then to move on and into the next moment when the next moment is called for. And and you just do that as many times as you can throughout the day and you change the quality of your experience. It's not about getting it perfect. It's not about living the right way or doing something right or wrong or being good or bad. It's literally about the quality of the moments that you participate in your own life. And some of them, some of the ways you participate um, are unconscious and they lead to a really low quality experience. And when you know that you are have a hand in the, your own creation and a hand in the way your relationships play out, you get to then choose the quality of your experience. And sometimes I still choose the shit show. There's, there's no doubt about that, but I'm able to move on from that so much faster than I've ever been able to, and not hold myself accountable and carry the past moment into the next moment, into the next moment, into the next moment, into the next moment. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's just totally right. Like there is not perfection. Like you just show up as your best over and over and over. And for me, you know, I, there's this sense of security. Like I, life is about the experiences you have and the moments you have with people. And I had gotten so sick of myself having to replay these moments and then beat myself up about the way that I was showing up in there, them, that I just decided like, actually I'm going to make decisions in real time so I can avoid my own self later of then like, you know, oh, here I am again doing this. I'm never going to be good enough. All of this stuff. Like we go to bed and we have these dialogues about what happened in the day. And, and I lived so many years, so scared that if something was to happen, that somebody wouldn't know that I loved them or that the last thing I said to them was something that I didn't actually even mean. And to now know, like, yes, I make mistakes and I'm not perfect. And sometimes my emotions get the best of me, but there is an unshakable truth that the people that I love in my life know that I love them. And I know that they love me and I know what I'm capable of and I know what they're capable of. And the distortion doesn't get to play in those places for more than a second, you know, for more 
as long as I'm aware of it. And I, um, you know, I've said this multiple times, but there was a year where I lost four people that were close to me and I was filled with grief in different ways. But a lot of times grief comes from the guilt of the way you spent the time when you were together. And it's like, if I just would have known, or if I just could have told them, or if I just would have showed up different, that's really what grief is. This like longing for another chance kind of, and, mm-hmm. and this work has allowed us to live in real time and know that the time that we are allotted together in any relationship we have doesn't mean that we wouldn't have grief or that we wouldn't miss those experiences in the future, but to go to bed knowing that the safety and the love that we all have for each other is unlike anything that I knew that I could experience that if something was to happen to somebody that I loved now, I would be in a different place and peace of my heart, knowing that we could survive because we made the best of all of the time that we had together. And we weren't waiting for some perfect condition to be able to do that together. We just decided to do it right now in the real time moments. And even one moment in that energy of truth is worth a lifetime. Like some people never experience at all. And to then continuously wake up each day and decide over and over and over and over and over to end the distortion and order ourselves in the truth and help the people who we love order themselves in the truth, the actual truth is, like I said, worth a whole lifetime. Like we got that opportunity and we just keep creating more of them. And and that's what everybody really truly desires in this life. Like we think we want more money. We think we want these vacations. We think we want all these things, but what we really want is the highest quality of experience interactions with the people we love. That's what life is. Like nothing else really matters to me than that. Totally. And, and that grief and that longing and that guilt or whatever is missing the moments that are already or that, that you were there, right? You're there in your body, but your mind is a million miles away. Cause it's either projecting the pain in the future or what will this mean in the future or filtering it through the pain of the past. So you're in the room with your chi- child, but you're actually in your bedroom when you're six or you're projecting when they're 40. And so the moment right there, like you said, you're not waiting to create the perfect conditions to just be in the moment, to feel the things, to say the things, to be and participate actively in what is real right now. And that's really all that there is. And as you learn to like, let yourself off the hook, right. To, to stop carrying over what happened five minutes ago or two years ago or 20 years ago into this present moment. And you just move to the next moment and have the freedom to create the next masterpiece or the next experience that you want to participate in fully you let other people off the hook too. And you don't have to start carrying them into this moment for who they were 20 years ago or 10 minutes ago or anything. And you get this freedom to experience each other as you are now. And that's where the magic actually is. That's where that like wild joy doing nothing comes from. That's where this laughter that you can't fake comes from. It's where the intimacy and this overwhelming feeling like your heart is going to explode when you're literally doing nothing in these moments where all, you know, all the external conditions don't have to be perfect. So you can feel a way a certain way. It's like the conditions don't even exist. And that 
that truth of love and connection and intimacy just pours out of you, you know, really effortlessly when you have gone through the moves that are required of you in that discomfort and in that tension and in that ability to survive yourself and that untangling. And there just really is nothing like it. Yeah. You made like a year ago. Well, you guys were in North Carolina, I think a post about watching this woman on the beach. Oh yeah. And her husband playing with the kids and her just being so um like held hostage by all the management of if everybody else is free and having fun then who will be left to keep everything in order and make sure the responsibilities happen and somebody could get hurt or whatever it was and it was really obvious in the post just by being close to this woman that she was in such a push and pull inside of her own mind and right in front of her where it was her life just circling around her begging her to participate and she just kept getting faced with more and more opportunity to lock herself away from the happiness and um we should, we should definitely repost that one. But I think every single woman relates so much to that. Like there's just, you feel like there's just so much to manage, but the truth is there actually isn't anything to manage at all. Like the truth is you just have to show up and decide right there in the moment what matters to you, despite what anybody else is doing or despite what you said in the past mattered to you, it does not matter. Like your ability to be willing to just be faced with yourself and make these real time decisions will create a life of magic. It's when you feel like you have to manage the systems that were created that never actually worked for you is where the discord and the discomfort and the dissatisfaction is being held. Like you truly came here to create a life that is individualized to you, not what any other friend or mother or anybody you've ever seen in the past has done. This is something that is just for you. And when you tap into that part of yourself and create the life and the magic and the interactions that you truly desire, like life is freaking awesome. It truly is. It's not about schedules. It's not about money. It's not about responsibilities. It's, it's about moments and more moments and more moments and more moments. It's about connection to yourself that overflows into the connection to the world and to the people you love and to the places that you're at. Like we live a life of disconnection, desperate to connect to anything. And it's a place where you feel completely lost, but there is a completely another way to do it. And it, you don't get there from the way that you think you do. You just don't. Yeah, so good. Yeah, so good. Well, I think this is a good place to stop for today. Yes, I love these conversations. They're so I good. Know. So fun. Oh, we we'll see day. you guys next week. Yeah. All right. Bye.